You're listening to episode 168 of the Marathon Running Podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cast. In this episode, we're going to talk about pacing for a marathon. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational. And let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Hey runners and welcome to episode 168. I'm your host Letty. And I'm Ryan. And we do our weekly podcast on all things running. And here we are again, episode 168. So thank you for everyone that's listening. Uh, we're going to try, we're recording a video. We're going to try to put a video on YouTube. And Letty's also going to attach the podcast to that. So if people want to watch it on YouTube, they can. But give us feedback. We were thinking we were going to put it on with a little less editing for the video part of it. So that you can see all the mistakes that we make and how many times we repeat <laughs> things to try to get it right. But then Letty also does a bunch of editing afterwards to make it nicer. But so anything new with you, Letty? Um, yeah, well, I finally bit the bullet, Ryan, and I paid my fees for the Tokyo Marathon entry. So is there no chance of deferring anymore? I don't think so. So last year I got in by chance. I played the lottery to prove a point that it was harder to get into New York with a qualifying time than Tokyo. And I was being sarcastic, but I got in. And then I also got into New York. So it's going to be an expensive year. <laughs> but so last year they gave us an option to defer the entry because of COVID regulations. And I jumped on that train. They gave us 24 hours to do it. I deferred it. And now... You know, the entry for the entry payment for 2024 is due. It's due now until the 15th. And I finally paid it. And hopefully I'll start getting excited about this marathon soon. So everyone listens so that Letty can help pay for her marathons coming up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's expensive. Although today, as I told you, I was online trying to look at flights and they are $1,500 as compared to the $2,700 that it was just a couple of weeks ago. So I think I'm going to finalize everything and book my flight tonight as well. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, you know, at least it's not that expensive of a hobby, I guess. There's much worse hobbies or more expensive hobbies you can have, so... You see that now. Wait till the credit card bill comes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for those of you guys that still want to get into Tokyo, the lottery hasn't started yet, actually. So I wanted to give you guys the time frames. If you're a premium member of One Tokyo, then your entry is between August 1st and August 10th. And that's literally just citizens of Japan that have a membership where they pay One Tokyo every year. For everybody else, they will be able to apply on August 14th till August 25th. So just hop on to their website, marathon.tokyo.com, I believe, and then you can enter and commit. Let us know if you get in and we keep our fingers crossed for you. 
What's the format of the Tokyo Marathon? Is it a standard one? Because we just did the Stockholm Marathon and we did the run in you know the middle of the day, which was awesome. But is it a standard race? Standard as in timing? Or? Yeah, and everything. I actually don't know oh. at all. I know that I they had that. some... Kirkstead kind of turned me off a little bit last year where they said that in order to run the marathon, you have to enter your corral with your phone. And I didn't like that because I, you know, I support runners that don't want to run with your phone. You shouldn't have to, but they kind of make you. Another thing was that they said no throwaway clothes. Now, I don't know if that actually meant no throwaway clothes, but if you have to think about it, the starting point is in a completely different area than the ending point. And it's in March, which is colder weather over there. So I can't imagine showing up with just your race gear on and not having anything else that you can then discard. So that, you know, was also one of the reasons along with kids school schedules and everything that I wanted to defer to see if it maybe would get better for 2024 but like I said I haven't looked into it I think that's part of why I was curious because I do remember you telling me those other things that were a little bit abnormal but so anyway excited I'm getting there I mean I guess I will be excited tonight after I book my flight looking forward to you know seeing what it's like although I would have loved for you guys to come with me I would love to have gone too. I think um, hopefully in the future we'll do more together. Yeah. It's hard to get off work for me. And for the kids to get out of school. Yeah. Truancy laws are following us and the school system's knocking on our door. <laughs> we had a lot of absences last year and we don't neglect our children. Quite the opposite. We take them traveling a lot. We take them everywhere with us. Yeah. And they're I so think they're young. getting a better education by going and traveling the world than they are just sitting in classroom all the time. Not that the classroom is not important. But I think that the combination of the two is important. Yeah. Nice. So, but this year we're trying to do a little bit better. <laughs> With truancies? Yes. Uh, yeah. So, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to tackle the topic of pacing for your marathon. It's a topic that I can't believe we haven't touched on yet in all 168 episodes because even though we talk about all sorts of training advice and everything, pacing is actually what it comes down to. Well, I mean, a training is right. Training is preparing yourself for an event. But I think one of the most important things you can do is to pace appropriately in a running event, right? So it's like, it's like your performance in a way of the day of the event. You have a lot of other sporting activities where you have to say not make mistakes or not or focus or other types of sports, right? You know, try to perform or perform well. But in running, you know, there's not a lot of like, split second decisions or other things that you're doing during the race, really kind of one of the most important things you can do during a race is just to pace yourself appropriately, right? It's so funny that you say that because I always think about that when I'm trying to race a marathon and I'm standing at the starting line and I'm nervous and then the race starts and I cross the starting line and I'm just running. But it's like you said, it's kind of almost anticlimactic. Like there is nothing I have to jump over or avoid unless, you know, obviously if you're on the back, but I'm just kidding. But there's nothing that you have to do except for run and your nerves you calm down and you're like, okay, I just got to find a pace. And then all I have to do is just run. But silver lining, doing that in a perfect manner in order to have that time management and enjoyment, because obviously you'll enjoy a race much more if you're performing well, you'll have that energy at the end. It's so important to just do that. 
you do make faster time, but you also feel so much better at the end of the race when you haven't just exerted all your energy. Yeah. Okay. So who did you talk to? So I contacted coach Erica Whites. She is a super fast runner and running coach. She's participated in the Olympic marathon trials and hopefully will do so again in 2024. And we asked her all kinds of questions, including starting what, what is your marathon pace and how to find it? How do you balance that run? How do you start conservative? How do you train for those negative splits? What do you do in regards to weather and other challenges? We talked about pacing tools, the wall. We talked about anxiety and using pacers and a lot of other things. So I think this is a pretty great interview. She had a lot of good answers that we can all learn from. It's cool because she's training at an elite level, you know, trying to get to the Olympic qualifier or do the Olympic qualifier. So she's going to be acutely aware of like all the things that needed to do to get the time that she wants. And it's good to learn from her because even people that whether or not they're as fast or not as fast, it's still good to learn from people that are doing well. Exactly. I think that's why she qualifies as an expert for this conversation. So do you want to hop into it? Let's do it. All right. So without any further ado, we're now going to play our conversation with Erica Whites. All right. So I'm back on with Erica Whites. Erica, thank you so much for joining me again. Yeah, Letty. Thank you so much for having me again. I appreciate it. I always love doing podcasts with you. Yes, me too. And especially this one, because I know you have a lot of experience in coaching and also running races pretty fast yourself. So we want to hop into the topic of pacing today, and I'm going to start with my first question. Let's talk about marathon pace. What is marathon pace? Ooh, all right. So marathon pace is the pace that you can run for a marathon, essentially. So usually it depends on like what level someone's at, but it could be anywhere from like a minute to two minutes uh, faster than your easy run pace. But depending on what level someone's at, it could be even closer to the easy run pace. Um, so usually when we're marathon training, we may not know exactly what our marathon pace is going to be until like getting closer to the race. So we do a lot of tempo runs leading up to that. And um, tempo runs are usually like 20 to 30 seconds per mile slower than your 5K pace currently. Um, and then if, depending on what level you're at, it could be maybe like 10 to 15 seconds. If someone's a little bit on the... Um, easier end. Um, and so, yeah, so it really depends, but I guess there's, it's very subjective too. So a lot of people think of tempo runs as like all different types of runs, but usually it's like your lactate threshold pace. And it's like a pace that if you were to race like a one hour race, it's the pace that you'd be able to hold for that race. Um, and then usually in practice, you'll do it for like 20 to 30 minutes. So it's like a quick sustained effort. Um, but it's not as fast as like a speed interval workout, like if you're doing 400 repeats, but it's not as slow as like if you were doing an easy run. So usually, um, like if you're doing an easy run, you should be able to talk during it and have like a full conversation. If you're doing um, like a speed workout, maybe you can say like a word here and there. And then if you're doing a tempo run, you should be able to kind of almost talk, but maybe like quick little phrases here and there. Um, so yeah, usually your tempo run or your lactate threshold run is going to be like um, for myself, it's like 20, 25 to 30 seconds per mile slower than my current 5K. Um, and then for maybe a beginner starting off, it might be closer to their 5K, like 10 to 15 seconds slower. 
And then how many seconds is your tempo run faster than your marathon pace? Oh, yeah. So that really depends um, on how fast you are. Um, but I would say usually it's like 20 to 25 seconds um, faster than your marathon pace. So usually you want to get used to doing a lot of a lot of runs at that tempo pace. Um, so we might start off like someone doing like maybe two by 10 minutes at that pace with like a one minute jog in between and then 20 minutes. And then you might even do like tempo mile repeats, um, which will have, you'll have like a really quick rest in between. Um, and you'll be going at that, that pace. That's like threshold pace. All right. So now that we know what your marathon pace could or should be, let's talk about balancing your start and your finish. So basically, you know how they always say start conservatively and finish strong. Tell us what they mean when it comes to marathon racing with that. Yeah, that's a good question. So when you're going into a marathon, like there's a lot of prep that goes into it and a lot of planning and you want to make sure that you have like a good race plan going into it. Um, I know before I had a coach, like I would just wing it and I would always have a positive split, which is where like your first half is faster than your second half. And that's really easy to do. Um, so it helps to have that plan. So you know, like what your predicted pace is going to be. So for example, if it's going to be seven minutes, let's just say random example. Um, then if you know that you're probably going to hit around that seven minute range for the marathon based on your training and based on everything, usually um, you would want to go out like maybe seven, 10 to 7.15, like go out like 10 to 15 seconds easier for your first 5K. And it sounds like crazy, but like that's kind of like a warm up, you know? And then um, if anything, you'll be able to either maintain that or pick it up. Um, and I would say like, so if you think you're going to run seven, you start with like 7.10 to 7.15, and then you maybe lock into that like 7, 7.05. And then that way, when you, you can like assess how you feel at like the half marathon mark, maybe mile 15, mile 17, mile 20. I used to, I like to do checkpoints during the race where I'm like, all right, if I feel, if I still feel good, I can pick it up a little bit. And then I'm like, if I, if I don't feel amazing, then I'll just maintain it. Um, and then that way you have that option. But every time in like a half or a full that I've gone out like 10 to 15 seconds slower for the first 5k, I've always had a negative split, which is where the second half is faster than the first. And I've always felt like amazing during the race. So um, it's definitely better than going out too fast because mentally and physically that's draining on your body. And a marathon's a long race, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question with that because I myself have done a ton of time, the whole positive splitting. So when I'm racing, And I'm going out and I run, I get fatigued at mile 15. But then when I did what you suggest, and obviously you weren't coaching me then, but I'm just saying when I did something like that, where I started out 10 seconds slower, I was never able to at mile 15 mentally convince myself that now it's time to go faster because inevitably your legs are tired after 15 miles. Yeah. That's true. I think that a lot of that is a lot of it is mental, but it's physical also. So you have to practice it in practice. Like, um, you know, doing those um, like 18 to 20 mile runs are really going to help. They're really going to be beneficial and doing like those really long workouts or even having like um, your long run where you do like a hard effort towards the end of your long run. Like that's going to be really, really beneficial. And like when I went into this negative split race and I've run many positive split races too. Like I had to learn the hard way. I would say like my first five marathons, I've, I ran my first 10 K like probably 40 seconds <laughs> per mile faster than the rest. 
<laughs> but, um, you know, you got to learn somehow. Um, but yeah, I think like just having the confidence in practice and building that confidence, you know, you can do it in a race. So like I mentally prepared myself for my best marathon. My coach is like, you're going to take off at mile 13. And I'm like, and then I hit, I'm like thinking in my head this whole time, even like weeks before, like two weeks before I'm like, I'm going to take off at mile 13. And literally I was like, all right, let's get to mile 13. I took off literally. So like you really just you have to hundred percent believe in yourself. And that might be a little bit aggressive. Um, sometimes I have my athletes just like wait until mile 20 even. And if they feel good at 20, then they can push it just a little bit. And usually if they end up pushing it, they end up staying like the same pace as they were. So that's, you know, that's a benefit too. But yeah, I think if you've had it in the past where you slowed down at mile 15, then you just have that in your head, like, oh shoot, this is where I slowed down. So it's just like breaking through that and you got to break through it in practice and then you'll, you'll end up doing it in a race too. I like that a lot. I like that tip for negative splits that you tell yourself that at a certain mile point, you will speed up because then inevitably you're thinking about that and you're trying to preserve in the beginning more. So I'd never looked at it that way. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah it is. It's really good. And like in a shorter race, you can't always do that because like a 5k is so fast. And I've actually read that it's actually beneficial to go out a little bit faster in the first mile, maybe like 3% faster. Um, but a half marathon, a marathon, you have, you have more time. It's much more beneficial to go out easier. Yeah. And so then the way to do it is, as you mentioned, to do it in practice. So now that everyone is lining up for the fall races, it's a good idea that when you do your long runs, maybe tell yourself, hold off until a certain mileage point and then try if you can go faster. Yeah. That's why I have a lot of my athletes do like progression runs, which like I say for the first half of the run, you're going at like your easy pace and then like gradually progress in the second half. And it's kind of like one of those lower pressure workouts too, where, um, you know, you're not like, okay, I don't have to hit a certain time. I'm just going to go by feel. Um, but then you get used to getting faster as you go. And then, um, sometimes there'll be like a more structured progression run where like miles, like 10 to 13, you're going to go this pace and then 13 to 15 or 16, you're going to go like a little faster pace. And then maybe there's a rest in between, but that'll be really helpful for like just building your mental confidence and your physical too. Cause then you're used to running like harder on tired legs. I love it. That's it for today, guys. <laughs> That's all we needed to know. <laughs> so I do have a few more questions. So now let's move on to different course types, right? Because you have the downhill races, you have the flat races, you have the rolling hill races. How does your pacing change when you are considering what type of terrain you're running on? Yeah, yeah. Um, so usually if there's a hill, like, well, you definitely want to practice the hills because then there wouldn't be as much of like a difference in your time, most likely if you're more used to the hills. Um, but usually the hills are going to be like the slower, they can be slightly slower in pace. So like, usually I'll, I like to map out a race plan for my athletes and then maybe give them like an extra five to 15 seconds, depending on how fast they are um, for that mile that there is hills. Um, but I always give like little cues for the hills, like lean forward, shorten your stride and quicken it and pump your arms. And like when I remember, I say those three things to myself and it actually does help you go up like quicker. Um, my coach taught me that in college and like it changed my life. It was amazing. Yeah. And then you might not slow down too much on hills if you're used to them. Um, but the good thing is for every uphill, there's also a downhill. So every time you go up, um, you know that you're, you could probably make up for it on the downhill, but you don't want to go too, too fast on downhills also, like especially early in the race, like the Boston Marathon, you know, 
I always tell people in Boston, I'm like, you got to go out a little, like you got to hold yourself back because that can like take a toll on your quads later. Yeah. But you definitely want to make sure that you're just like, give yourself some slack for the Hills and it's okay to like, if you slow down a little bit. Okay, perfect. So that's something that you can control. You can always look at the course map and see the elevation chart. Let's talk about weather and weather conditions, not just cold weather, but also wind and rain. How do you, what do you do when that happens when you're running? How does your pacing change? Oh yeah. Well, sometimes the rain can really help you. Um, and hopefully you have a tailwind, not a headwind, but you never know. But usually, um, you just want to be as prepared as possible. So like, um, I know a lot of marathons I've run, it was crazy cold and I'm used to everything being warm in Florida. Um, but that can be really beneficial. So you always have to kind of look on the bright side of everything. Um, and then like, if it's, if it's raining before the race, make sure you have a poncho and then <laughs> it's very cheesy, but, and then you take the poncho off right before the race. And then, um, you know, the rain will just like kind of brush off of you. You don't have to worry about it. Um, but if it's like really hot and humid, it's okay to adjust the pace. And I've had to do that for some athletes that have run like some really hot, humid races, like in March or during that time in Florida where it's crazy hot. Um, so you have to, you definitely have to cut yourself slack for the heat and humidity because even, even people that you think are superhuman are affected by the heat and humidity that does affect us all. Sure does. Yeah. And I agree with you with the whole training in the heat and then going somewhere cold because suddenly you feel like you're that much faster and you can breathe the air because it's no longer humid. Yeah, that's right. I know. So you actually do get a benefit from training in the heat and humidity because like you just get used to that. And then once you, you're right, you fly when you get to the cooler, cooler temps and everyone else is still thinking it's hot and you're like, this is heaven. <laughs> so true. So true. All right. So let's talk about some other effective pacing tools, if you want to call them that. A lot of mm -hmm. us look at our watch every 10 seconds and it's a lot. It's annoying. So we have yeah. those GPS devices, mile markers. Um, tell us how to use them best in order to pace yourself efficiently. Yeah. Depends on the course. Um, and like as long as if you're going through wood, woody areas, sometimes the Garmin doesn't work as well or it's not as accurate. Um, I know some people say that the Koros watch has like is accurate in the woods. I, I tried it once, but it was hard to get used to. Um, but I have the Garmin and like, um, usually I just will go by the mile markers and like, um, for Chicago, I know it's very, a lot of buildings, so you can't go by your Garmin. You just can't look at it. because then you'll get crazy because it's not accurate. So that I just would try to like split my watch every mile whenever I saw the mile marker. Um, but that's where you kind of have to rely on feel. But if your Garmin is working and you're in a good course where you don't have any shaded or buildings, um, I like to set my watch to beep every half mile instead of every mile. Um, so that way I know like what pace I'm at for the half mile. And then I know if I'm like what pace I'm supposed to be around. So if I'm a little fast or a little slow, I can adjust and like either pick it up or slow it down to round out the mile. Um, so that really helps a lot too. And, um, but yeah, you don't want to get too fixated on your Garmin. So um, if you're able to, I know this is really hard for a lot of runners, but me too. But if you can go out on a run without your Garmin, like that'll be really beneficial because then you just, if it's like an easy run, um, I was actually lucky that my Garmin died in my workout the other day. <laughs> it was my first workout back in a couple of weeks and, um, my Garmin died right before the workout, but luckily I had two people I was running with. So they told me like when to speed up and slow down, but I feel like I had a better, like mental, mentally workout, mentally better workout because I wasn't like looking at my watch all the time. And I wasn't like freaking out if I was going too slow or something like that. 
or maybe, you know, trying to go faster than I need to go. So yeah, you want to use the Garmin as like a guide, but don't like, don't always rely on it and don't fixate on it. Okay. I love it. Love it. Perfect. And I love that you set your watch to beep every half mile. I'm going to try to yeah. do that as well. I want to add one more thing about the track. Cause um, I didn't realize that I had to let people know this because I'm so used to just like knowing that the tracks, the Garmin's not accurate on the track. So basically um, if you're doing like mile repeats, like, cause I've seen some of my athletes, like stopping in the middle of the track and I'm like, what's going on? They're like, Oh, that was the end of the repeat. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, cause the Garmin wacky on the track. <laughs> you don't go by that. You just go, you go by the track distance and then just like split your watch. Um, so I'm very old school with splitting my watch. Like, um, <laughs> I, I don't like to set my Garmin like workouts in the Garmin. I know a lot of people do, but then in that case, like if you need to adjust the workout or change something like you, then it messes everything up. So I just like to literally press that bottom right hand button and you can even glance at your time and see what it is or just check it all out later. Yeah. That's a good idea because then you're also kind of learning how, the effort should and should not feel, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, perfect. All right, moving on to mental techniques for marathon pacing. Tell us how we can use our minds to help pace. Yeah, so um, I think like basically doing it in practice and like preparing yourself mentally in practice is going to help to best prepare you for the race. So that way, when you get to the race, you're not like trying all these new tactics and thinking of things in your head. Um, but just like, being happy with where you're at and knowing like, you know, maybe you're not at the level you want to be at for the race, but maybe you still have like 12 more weeks. That's okay. Um, not like trying to go out at like a crazy pace or maybe even your goal pace yet until you're there. Um, and just like be okay with where you're at, um, working towards getting to where you want to be. And then once you're like pretty consistent at a certain pace, um, then maybe setting the bar a little bit higher and working towards a little faster pace. Um, but I say just like real, always relaxing in the beginning of every workout um, will help you to, to do that in the beginning of a race too. Um, I know I have some athletes that will like in the beginning of training, like if they, they're first starting out, they might go out a little fast in, um, in like a workout. So I always say like relax in the first one. And if you can go out slower for your first rep, that's like, that's ideal. Um, Cause then you'll either be able to maintain it or pick it up for the rest. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Because in that way, it also builds on your confidence. That's true. Yeah. And sometimes like, I don't like, I like to push athletes and set like challenging goals, but at the same time, in the beginning, it might even be beneficial to set like a less aggressive goal to start. And then they know they can hit that. And then you can start like bumping it up a little bit inch by inch. I like it. All right. Let's talk about navigating the wall and mental fatigue how proper pacing can help you reduce that impact of that wall. Yeah. I heard about the wall before my first marathon. And, um, and because my dad, he was a big runner. He'd tell me about it. And he's like, usually people hit the mall, wall at mile 20. And so am I, so I was actually like thinking about it during the marathon. And like, I, I reached mile 20 and I was like, where's the wall? There is no wall. I was like, like people keep talking about this wall, but there is none. And I was so happy and I actually went faster at that point because I realized that I had broken through that wall. Um, and so there's actually, um, there's like a funny drill that I've done before um, at one of my, uh, at a conference I went to with Arbon. And it was like, they, they're talking about breaking through a wall, like with your career and stuff. So they like held a, like a piece of wood, somebody holds it and you have to, have to take your hand and like break it. 
and you have to break this piece of wood with your hand. And I was like, shoot, what if I break my hand trying to do it? But I guess it's like a piece of wood that like, it's not going to hurt you if you just hit it really hard. Um, and so that like symbolized breaking through a barrier, breaking a wall. So you could do that before your marathon and like, just like hold up a, like a piece of wood, but make sure it's something that you can actually hit your like, breakthrough, have somebody hold it and try not to hit them. <laughs> and then just like break the wall. And then you're like, and then it kind of, it's not like a metaphor, but it will help you to maybe mentally to know that you can break through any wall. I love it. <laughs> Or just use something else, maybe like, um, I don't know, a piece of tape like you would use to like run through the tape at the finish line. You yeah. Can break that. Or just like, yeah, something that like symbolizes you breaking through the wall and just know that you're going to, you're not going to hit any wall. If you feel like you do, you're just going to run through it. Yeah, very true. Very true. So proper pacing would obviously help with that. Yeah. Yeah. Proper pacing for sure. Like if you're going out smart and you're, you know, your pace you go out, you know, maybe a little bit more conservatively that first 5k and then like lock into a pace. Um, you know, and then as you feel good later in the race, you can always pick it up. Um, and like I said, most of the time, if you feel like you're picking it up, you're probably either maintaining the same pace or you might be getting a little faster. Yeah. All right. So you were alluding to it earlier a little bit, how in the first five of your marathons, you weren't pacing properly. So tell us how race experience and pacing can help you later on when you become more of a seasoned marathoner. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So like for those first five marathons, like I didn't have a coach. So finally, when I, um, I decided I was going to get a coach, um, he told me about like what pace I was ready to, to go for. And so, and I liked that because I was like, before I never knew, I would just run whatever I thought and it would always be way too fast in the beginning. And so I actually ended up maintaining that pace for the entire race and maybe like a little bit faster in the end. Um, so that was really good. And ever since then, I realized like you really do want to have a plan. Um, and then anytime I have had a plan after that, which is almost every marathon, um, I've been able to do much better. And like, I don't think maybe a couple positive splits, but they weren't too significant. Um, except for one, there's one that I didn't have a plan. And it was also because I got injured like six weeks before with the Olympic trials marathon, unfortunately. So that was a big positive split, but Hey, it happens. Have right. And you walk away and you learn from it and then you teach your uh, clients about it. So that's definitely, yeah. you can turn that into something positive. Maybe yeah. also address the uh, psychological pacing challenges that people can face, for example, when they have race anxiety or stress related. Uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. This, and that happens a lot. And like, I've been there too, where you get really anxious and stressed about, my gosh, what if I fall off or what if this happens? But you just have to like relax and not worry so much about it. If there's, if you can find a way to put the, take the pressure off of yourself um, and just, you know, have fun with it. Remember why you started running because a lot of people um, forget that. And they're just like, they just, they start getting really crazy about it. And then they forget why they love it and like why they do it in the first place. Um, so remember that. And then just remember that it's better to go out easy and then work your way up or, um, you know, just try to stay as consistent as you can. I like it. Perfect. All right. So let's talk about pacers. The big marathons have pacers. I learned the hard way that not all pacers are equal. So yeah. I've decided that whenever I would run a race and try to use pacers, I would talk to them about how they approach their races because some of them are really aggressive with the pace and some of them aren't. Uh, why don't you give us some tips on how to deal with pacers, whether to use them or not and all that? Yeah, I've been a pacer before. I love it. So much fun. 
Um, and, you know, I learned actually uh, the hard way because I went out a little quick and first time I ever paced. Um, but I helped some people get to PR. So that was cool. Um, so it's good to, yeah, you don't always want to rely on the pacer. Because I also remember my first experience with like my first marathon 2011. It was the New Jersey marathon. And um, I found there were a lot of pacers around, but like, I think like the 730 pacer was in front of the 715 pacer. And then like, it was just really off. So you can't rely on it. Um, but if you happen to run with them and, you know, you're you're on pace, then they can be very helpful. So um, always look into the races and see like they do have a pacer. And then, um, you know, try to like maybe hang behind them if it's a pace that you want to hit and then work your way up to them. That way you're not going out too fast. Um, and usually the pacers are, they're set to go a pace that's 30 seconds faster than the goal pace. So if it's like a 130 half, then they'll be 129, 30. So you know that for the most part, if they're doing it right, if you stick with them, then you should be on pace. All right. So do you tell your athletes to use them or do you tell them just rely on whatever we did in training? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. But like, I usually want them to run their own race just in case the pacer is going too fast. Um, usually they're not going too slow, but in a marathon, um, there's been times when pacers might even drop out because it's a marathon. But um, so I would say like, usually if there is like a pacer and they're going for that pace, I tell them to kind of hang behind them or like at the back of the pack. And then, um, you know, go with them until a certain point. If they feel good at like mile 15 to 17, they can maybe go or maybe usually wait till like mile 20, depending on their fitness level. And then they can like kind of, you know, go ahead of the pacer if they feel good. Otherwise, just try to hang with them. All right, cool. So two more questions. One of them is about increasing pace while maintaining effort. Maybe you can tell us how training can enhance your speed without increasing that perceived effort. Ooh, yeah. So um, it's good to like, you know, do different types of workouts. Like usually if you have a coach, they're going to give you uh, like intervals, like give you tempo runs, maybe marathon pace or half marathon pace runs. Um, and then it's good to like even repeat those same workouts again and see like, you know, kind of compare how much faster you got um, maybe if they're a couple of weeks apart or um, even week to week, like sometimes I've had coaches in the past that have given me like the same workout, like on a Monday is the next Monday and the next Monday. And um, I ended up like increasing the pace each week. Um, so that's helpful. Um, and just, yeah, I think just if you like tempo runs, like gradually increase the, maybe the distance of the run and try to maintain that same pace, like for the following week. And you kind of gain confidence from the week before that you did it before. Now it's only going to be five minutes, you know, longer. Or if you do make it five minutes longer, maybe for the first five, if you're doing like a 20 minute tempo one week, then 25 minutes the next week, maybe your first five minutes is like a little bit slower. So you can work on that, like going out conservative and then try to maintain that same pace for like 20 minutes. So like gradually building up, um, that'll help. And then usually you'll feel like you'll feel pretty good and you're running even longer or maybe even a little faster. I love it. Those are great tips. Thank you. And um, let's talk about our last question, the importance of patience while you're running a marathon, pacing yourself. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people aren't patient. I know I'm not like the most patient as I thought I was. Um, but it's so important when you run, especially distance, like you have to be patient because you can't, nobody can sprint a marathon, not even Kipchoge like that uh, for, you know, his four minute pace, whichever pace he goes is crazy fast or 2430. That feels not crazy hard to him. Um, so even he's not sprinting a marathon. So you got to 
you got to relax um, and just know that usually the adrenaline will kind of keep you going and um, just keep smiling and that will help too. And yeah, really enjoy the race, have fun, um, check out the scenery if you can. Um, and then even like, I mean, I've talked to people in the beginning of a marathon um, that I was racing and I know that seems crazy, but that means I was going a comfortable enough pace in the beginning that I wasn't going to like burn out at the end. Um, so that's, that's pretty crazy because usually in practice, you can't talk at that pace, but then in a race, it's like, everything's just different. So the more you relax in the beginning with the adrenaline, it's going to feel like way easier, more to give in the end. I love it. Thank you, Erica, so much for talking to us about pacing. And maybe you want to tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to get in touch with you and also perhaps follow you because you are hopefully going to be racing the Olympic trials next year. Woohoo! Thanks, Letty. Yeah, I'm excited. The Olympic trials are in my hometown of Orlando. So, woo, that's going to be a blast and a half. I know that course like the back of my hand. Yeah. So if every, anyone wants to find me, which I would hope uh, we can connect on social media um, through Instagram, it's at exclusive Erica. There's two E's in the middle. Um, and then they can also follow. We have a team page on Instagram. It's um, at team exclusive endurance. And we have Facebook. Facebook is um, actually run with Erica or Erica Whites, W-E-I-T-Z. Um, you can shoot me an email at Erica at exclusive dash endurance.com. If you have any questions or want to set up a consultation, I do um, free 30-minute consultations for anyone who might be interested in coaching or, or leveling up their run game and maybe training for to qualify for Boston or just like get a PR or win their age group. Um, let me know and I'm here to help you. And I'm excited that we got to do this, Letty. Thank you so much. Me too. Thank you. Thank you, Erica, for this conversation. I loved it and hopefully you guys took notes. If not, go to our show notes and you'll find some pointers there. You can also hop to our Instagram at running podcast or our website www.marathonrunningpodcast.com. We'll have a blog up summarizing a lot of this information. Leave comments if you do or you want to give us feedback, please do. We love the feedback. We're trying to make things as best as we can for the people that are listening and be as helpful as possible. That's always the goal. That's a pretty good summary, Ryan. And a comment was left that we have a tendency to interview fast people because we always say, of course, we can learn from somebody who's faster. Well, what if that's actually not the goal? What if the goal is to just have a wonderful marathon? And maybe there is something that we can learn from someone who is at the back of the pack. Yeah, of course. So we're going to talk to somebody who's a back of the packer who will tell us how it is, give us their perspective, and maybe even give us some pointers that we can also learn from. Sounds good. I'm excited. Me too. And with that, you want to close it out? Have a great week of running, guys. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running. <laughs> <laughs>